Father, we celebrate our kids. We celebrate the fact that you have said that kids don't need to become like adults to experience the kingdom of heaven. But kids should rather be, adults should rather become like kids. We celebrate that they represent some of the best of who we are as humanity. And we take seriously the responsibility that you have given us as adults to care for them, to train them, to encourage them, to meet them where they are and to help them go where they need to go. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, courage, discernment, kindness, grace, and every good gift that we need for our kids. We pray this specifically for Sean McDaniel, our Oklahoma City School Superintendent. We pray this for our school board chair, Paula Lewis, and for our school board members, Charles Henry and Rebecca Budd, Carrie Jacobs, Mark Mann, Ruth Veals, Gloria Torres, and Jace Kirk. These men and women have been given a very important and difficult job. We know that inequality exists in our schools, and we we would rather it be better. We know that they have hard decisions and that they are working to do what is best for all. But we pray, Lord, that you would give them extra doses of courage, of grace. As they listen and as they seek to listen to parents and teachers, Lord, would you allow them to hear and to make wise decisions on all behalf. In our own church, we pray for the students and the teachers represented in the schools of Linwood Elementary and Gatewood Elementary and Horace Mann Elementary and F.D. Moon Elementary, and Scheidler Elementary, and John Rex Elementary, and Harding Fine Arts Academy, and Classen SAS. Parents, teachers, administrators, students, would you fill them with your peace in the midst of this unknowing and fear not knowing where they will go or where they will work or what will happen to their school. Lord, we ask that you would protect them. And we trust you to be the very best neighbor to us. And then we ask that you would teach us and give us courage to be the very best neighbors to one another. We thank you for the gift of public education. We recognize that all good things have originated with you. 
And so we ask for those leaders who are stewarding this great gift um, that you would grant them peace, that you would grant them wisdom. We ask this because we trust that you care about these things and that you know what to do in situations that we don't. We ask this because we know that you are the God of abundance and not the God of not enough. And so we ask this in confidence and in anticipation. And we pray this together. Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, the Acts of the Apostles. It's also known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you do not have a Bible, I have some friends who have Bibles, and they'd love to lend you a Bible. Just raise your hand. Somebody would bring you a, will bring you a Bible. If you're practicing your Spanish or if Spanish is your heart language, just say, hey, I want a Bible in Spanish, and somebody will bring you a Bible. But the, uh, if you would turn your Bible to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 32 and read through chapter 5, verse 11. This is the season of Epiphany. It is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. And we are surprised and astonished when this God shows up. So let us pray together that we might be astonished in these very old and ancient and very sho- and this very shocking text. So I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. So hear the Word of the Lord for us on this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they, felt that, and, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought, he bought, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to, God, to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Boy, that word of God will get you sometimes, won't it? This story really is more than the recorded events of a faith community and a couple with a lucrative real estate portfolio. You need to know that this is a story that is about, this is a story, a short story that is about us. This is a story about our bank accounts, our salaries, our portfolios, and our charitable giving statements. This is a story about our value systems. But it's more than that. This is a story that is about the condition of our hearts. It's a story about what we believe in or what we don't. One time a church parishioner came to me and he said, Chris, you need to stick to talking about spiritual things. Discussions regarding people's activities and their politics and what they do with their money is out of bounds. I wish this guy would have talked to the writers of the Holy Scriptures because from Genesis to Jesus, from the desert fathers to the church leaders, uh, matters of money and possessions and material goods, they all believed were matters of the heart. What we really believe in is, is revealed in the way in which we use resources. So for my friend, I need to let him know and you know that money issues are spiritual issues. The Torah, the prophets, Jesus, they all talked about money and possessions more than they did about anything else. So it's with this in mind that we read this story. Now, Ananias and Sapphira are a couple that started attending first century first church because they heard that it was a really exciting place to be. And when they walked in, they were greeted with a hospitable smile They went to the back of the sanctuary and got their coffee. They found a seat, sang some songs, and then they were surprised by the reading that everyone said together. Collectively, the people of God said these words, we gather here to tell the truth. We don't have our lives together, and on our own, we can't get them together. And Ananias and Sapphira were so surprised because this statement is a tremendous act of vulnerability. But the truth-telling continued because the people collectively said that while we were still sinners, God died in solidarity with us. And they were surprised because this group of people, this community confessed. They confessed together that in this God they went from poor to rich. And then Ananias and Sapphira were surprised when they heard the people say together, as our God has been so generous to us, we will be generous as well. Then they made it through the good neighbor practice. They were able to talk to somebody, a stranger, for three minutes. It wasn't as bad as they anticipated. And then they discovered that the sermon wasn't that horrible. Because the guy wasn't going to preach for 45 minutes. And they were really impressed that at first century, first church, they had women in places of leadership. But it was at the end of the service that they were really taken back when they heard these words. Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save. And then they heard a story. And then they were invited to come to a table and eat and drink with those that were buying into the good news story that they confessed. 
They found that their souls and their bodies were fed at this table. They were welcomed to this table as a means of God's grace and, and, and as an example of God's generosity in their lives. And they then, when they were at that table, they were fully welcomed into the community. They heard these words. Ananias and Sapphira heard these words. You are welcome at this table, and you are welcome to be one of us. Only it was more than that. They realized they weren't joining a club because promises were being made. They were able to receive and fully participate in the benefits of this new and generous community. And it happened because the people said, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Later, Ananias and Sapphira joined a parish group. And in real time, they watched people begin to take care of one another. And for the first time, they weren't lonely. And they were surprised at how different this community was. This community said that they were different because of Jesus' resurrection. They said Jesus' resurrection changed every way that they viewed their lives. They talked differently about their enemies. They they did business differently. And, And these people said that it even had an impact on the way in which they saw their future. They were told that it had an influence on on how they used their resources and their possessions and their money for, for the common good. And this community lived with a hand open towards their neighbor. And they sought the common good, not in their own lives, but in their neighbor's lives. And eventually, what Ananias and Sapphira were most surprised by was this sort of generosity in this community began to change the neighborhood. Crime was going down, test scores going up. And it caused Ananias and Sapphira to begin to reflect on their own lives. They had been married for a while, and they had been involved in their own real estate venture. They had amassed a nice little nest egg and were holding on to it for a rainy day. Both worked very, very hard for what they had. They also had a piece of property, and they decided to sell it like Joseph or Barnabas had done just a few months earlier. But when time came for them to give this money that they had promised, they changed their minds. And they decided to hold a portion back, which wouldn't have been so bad, except they just led everybody to believe that their generosity was exceptional. And maybe it wasn't, they didn't say it was as exceptional as Barnabas's, or maybe not as, as much as the others in the community. No, 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 what they, what they deceived everybody by was this. They said that their generosity was as exceptional as God's generosity. Well, Honesty was of the utmost importance in this new community. So Pastor Pete goes to Ananias and he asks why he has lied about his charitable donation. And without a word, Ananias falls down and dies. He's dead. And then the next thing you know, men from the funeral home march in, take up the corpse, and go and bury him. And within just an hour, it just took a few hours, so then Pastor Pete goes to his wife, Sapphira, to give her a chance to come clean and to confess. But when she, when, after she was confronted, she denied the truth. Pastor, Pastor Pete shakes his head, lets her know that she's in trouble, and then she too falls dead, and this strikes fear in everyone. What a story. Now, there's a lot to consider here. There's so many questions that could be asked, and I've been rolling this one around in my heart and my mind for a couple of months. 
And I will confess with you all that this one can be pretty disturbing and confusing. But this is a short story. And, and my teachers in school used to tell me that short stories are actually stories that fit within a larger story to teach us a lesson or to introduce us to some other greater truth. Short stories give us the ability to see ourselves for who we are and, and what we're all about. And short stories help, us, help to show how we fit in this larger narrative of what we call trying to be human. So we need to look at a larger story in order to make sense of this short story. And the larger story is found early on in the scriptures, and it's that of the Exodus. Now, you know this story, so I won't tell you the whole thing, but it's the story where Moses leads the people out of Egypt into a land of promise. And that story is the backdrop for the story we just read in Acts. So in, in Exodus, the, you know, in the Exodus uh, narrative, the main character is, is not Moses. The main character is actually this God-like, all-powerful figure whose name, is, his, whose name is Pharaoh. He's the king of all Egypt, and Pharaoh has a certain perspective on money, and it's this. He believed that there was not enough to go around, and he believed that there would never be enough to go around. Never enough was, was the mantra, the theme of Pharaoh's life. And for some of us, that is our theme. Even today, the narrative is that we're made to think that there is not enough to go around. In just a few minutes, you'll get to go home and you'll get to watch commercials. Commercials that will try to convince us that we do not have enough and we are not enough. And this is the narrative that haunted Pharaoh. This was the nightmare in his sleep. It tortured him in the daytime. What if he ran out? Pharaoh believed that there would never be enough grain, never enough bricks, never enough slaves. So he establishes this production system that rivals our own American economic system. He accumulates all he can by placing the debt on the backs of those who work for them, and when the debts can't be paid back, when the debts can't, couldn't be paid back, he's then granted free labor, and he's granted the ability to act violently towards those who were in debt to him. Think about this. From international debts to gambling debts to credit card debts. From incarceration to education, from immigration to preservation. From oppression to abolition, our political and economic system is built on Pharaoh's perspective of money, wealth, and resources. We think there is never going to be enough, so we hurt our neighbor. Pharaoh developed this, this sophisticated and intricate system. It was, it was a, a media, educational uh, political, economic, military system, and it cultivated an environment of competition on individualistic, nationalistic, and consumeristic propaganda. It is Pharaoh's version of a pyramid scheme. And under Pharaoh's system, the, the monopoly of wealth and the accumulation of goods made the people at the bottom there of that pyramid, it made the ones without resources be the ones who had to pay the freight for the whole thing. The whole system, the whole event that is the Super Bowl is to hold up and propagate this system. 
this pyramid scheme. And Pharaoh would do whatever he took, whatever it took to establish his own security. He did whatever it took to amass enough. He even began to strip the very earth and its resources for his own purpose. And if you didn't know this, this really offended the Jewish children. because, And they saw this as a tragedy because they claimed that the earth was alive. It was a gift from the Creator. God, abundant in its resources, and it should have provided enough for everyone. And we know that God established His Ten Commandments. But Pharaoh also established Ten Commandments, and it went like this, design, produce, create, build, distribute, make, establish, export, secure, and above all else, sacrifice. We we live according to these commandments from time to time. This is why we buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't really know. This is why, collectively, we are in so much credit card debt. This is why we are slaves. This is the larger narrative that fits and frames our text today. But what is so remarkable is that there is another character in this larger narrative. He is the Hebrew god Yahweh, whose name means I am, maker of heaven and earth. And he is nothing, nothing like the Egyptian god Pharaoh. And while Pharaoh tries to accumulate everything, the Hebrew god already has everything. And while, while the Egyptian god Pharaoh uses the Nile River, Yahweh reminds creation that he made the Nile River. And then he says, I am so for you. I am so with you. I am so behind you. I am so ahead of you. I am, a, I am more than enough for you. And I I have more than enough for you. I am here to be generous to you. God does not accumulate, and God is not dependent on Pharaoh's systems. But instead, the larger narrative tells us this, that God is generous. One of my favorite Old Testament uh, scholars, Walter Brueggemann, says that God doesn't entrap or enslave, but instead, there is a response to the cries who are those on the bottom of this pyramid scheme. There is a response to those, to the, the maker of heaven and earth responds to the ways of Pharaoh by allying himself to those slaves so that it is possible for them to depart the narrative and the systems that are built by Pharaoh. God doesn't use or accumulate or hold on to or abuse. God is not about a pyramid scheme so that people at the bottom are indebted. God is the one who, in his, in his way, turns the scheme upside down and is one who pays the freight so the debts can be canceled. First century, first church started to figure this out. They started to figure it out. They realized that there was an, they, they realized that there was an invitation to imagine a new way forward and a way other than the way of Pharaoh, and it made them incredibly generous. And the early church declared that this generous God was one who, re, who was revealed in the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And when that resurrection happened, the systems of Pharaoh were broken once and for all. They said it this way, that the transformative nature of Jesus contained within the resurrection contained a restorative capacity. 
the resurrection of Jesus began to free people spiritually and politically and economically. And Joseph Barnabas and others in the community began to realize that they could too get in on the good work of God as long as they would match their generosity with the generosity of God. And as long as they saw that their money and possessions were gifts given to them by God, uh, by the God that already owned them, and, and when they realized that this God already owned this stuff, but was given to them, they could, they could use these, this as gifts that would meet the needs of others. And by being generous, it was like they were stepping into a whole new life. Acts of generosity in this early church were breaking the systems that held them back and was a radical departure from the systems of Pharaoh. And it is a radical departure from our current empirical economics as well. And it gives privilege, it gives privilege to the poor instead of handing power to the powerful. A community empowered by the Spirit and a community that practices generosities like this is actually standing up in resistance against the dominant forces that be. And in this first church in the first century, everyone in the community had everything they needed. And Luke said, awe was upon them all. Now with that... I think we have this short story of Ananias and Sapphira because we've heard the good news of this first, first church of the first century in its community. But I think we have this short story of Ananias and Sapphira because it's a warning to us. And in the middle of all the miracle and all the wonder and all the marvel and the possibilities, Pharaoh's narrative and economic system had a deep, deep, deep grip on Ananias and Sapphira. And it has a deep grip on my friend who is, my, is a parishioner that doesn't think that money issues are spiritual issues. And honestly, we, we read this text because it reveals that Pharaoh's economic system has a deep grip on us all. Because while he oppressed, Pharaoh at the same time taught us to imagine that there are no resources outside of Pharaoh's gift. So we tell this story so that we can be reminded of the economic injustice and that it is linked with idolatry. And idolatry is loyal to that which cannot save us. And we are idolaters if we believe that God can't set us free, that God won't provide, and we won't have enough. These these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, could not imagine that their life Their money, their possessions, their resources outside of the system established by Pharaoh. They they couldn't see their life outside of that. Ananias and Sapphira were slaves to Pharaoh's system. They bought into the lie that there wasn't going to be enough. And that system always leads to our death. It always leads to our death. But by placing our trust in this God... We are actually invited into life. And we're invited into full life. Now I want to tell you this. Trusting God with our resources can be a scary thing. We are so used to Pharaoh's system. But let me put your mind at ease, okay? I'll just tell you this. 
While trusting God with our resources can be a scary thing, I'll have you know, they're not our resources. And because of Jesus, it's not our debt. To trust God with our lives and our debt, literal and spiritual, is to step out of slavery and into life. Last week, I was really taken back by our storytellers. Ken and Pam told us how they paid off $82,000 in consumer debt, and Pam's words hit me. You know what she said? She said, I realized when we were free from our debt, we didn't have to increase our living. We got to increase our giving. They figured out generosity. And when a whole community trusts this God for the sake of the neighborhood, all might just come upon us all. N.T. Wright says this, What you do with your money and your possessions declares loudly what sort of community you are. And the statement made by the early church was clear. And our statement earlier tonight was clear as well. We are poor. We are hungry. We are thirsty. And there is, we cannot provide anything for ourselves We need God's grace. We need one another. And the truth of the matter is this, that God died in solidarity with us. And now we're forgiven, set free. We're adopted into a good family. This is literal invitation to us. We belong to God. And now we belong to one another. We are rich and satisfied, a a people of peace and reconciliation and love. The generosity of God and our rebellion against Pharaoh's cycles of oppression comes in our generosity, and that is the essence of epiphany. Because, my friends, Jesus has been the very best neighbor to us, we also get to be good neighbors to one another. This is what we're reminded, by, this is reminded of whenever we come to the Lord's table. Each week, I invite you to this table, and I remind you of the resurrection of Jesus the demonstration, and the empowerment that we can live out of old ways into new ways. The cross is a sign. It is a picture of the overabundant generosity of God, John says. In fact, he says that God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. And our response should be simply a willingness to participate and a willingness to trust. So each week we're invited to this table of our Lord, as they have done for thousands of years. Barnabas came to this table, and Ananias and Sapphira were once at this table. And tonight we get to come to this table, and we are reminded, and we do not want to be mistaken like they were, that this is a constant reminder of something tangible. It is a new reality and a bold statement that Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So in his generosity, Jesus on the night before he was betrayed by those that he came to save, took at dinner, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. This is another way to say, remember and receive the grace and my extreme and abundant generosity for you. 
And then in the same way, after, he saw, after supper, he took the cup of wine and he held it up and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that comes in my blood and it has been poured out for you. Whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. Another way to say it, remember and receive my extreme and abundant generosity. At our table, at our church, this is an open table, and all who are open to the transforming work of God in Christ are welcome, and you are welcome to this community. Everyone who is open to believe in this good work, everyone who is open is welcome to this table. Here at this table is where we live into the tension that we follow the one who has overcome this world, and the one who was a victim of this world, but the one who also says, do not worry because I have overcome it. I want to let you know that we want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic. I invite you to exit the left side of your row, move down one of the aisles, but come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here because we receive it. We recognize that it is a gift. It represents God's generosity to us. And as God has been good to us, allow these to serve you. Listen to what they have to say. Dip the bread into the cup and then you may eat it. If for any reason you're unable to come down our aisle or you need assistance, just wave to Justin and he would love to come serve you. But friends, this is the example of God's generosity. And it is offered to you so that you might be generous to others. And so today I invite you to come.